Hi, this is Yara Stark, and welcome to another Entrepreneur's Journey podcast interview with an expert. Today, I have Adam Baker with me on the line. And Adam, you may know from the Man vs. Debt uh, personal finance blog, uh, as well as a few other things. Uh, Adam has an interesting story, certainly a, a great story for those of you who like the idea of quitting your job and traveling and just getting your personal finances all sewed up so you can do things like that. So, Adam, thank you for joining me. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. So Adam and I, uh, we haven't actually talked. This is the first time we've talked. <laughs> I know, right? So, um, we've been around in the same circles for a couple of years, but we've never crossed paths. So yeah, yeah. first time, well, first let's, discussion. Let's, let's blame the distance between us being me being in Australia. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. Even even though the internet, you know, there's no distance there. But, <laughs> right. So uh, which which is great because I don't have a lot of backstory about Adam. So I'm going to learn as much as you listeners will. So uh, Adam, let's let's start at the beginning. Uh, born and raised. I was born and raised in uh, Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, Midwestern boy, as we say over here in the States. Uh, and I went to, I guess, to catch it up, to go briskly, I, w- I went to college for aeronautical engineering, if you can believe that or not. I was good at math and science. And uh, when you're good at math and science and you're raised in the Midwest, you go to engineering school. That's just what you do. So I went to engineering school and uh, ended up marrying my high school sweetheart uh, right after I failed out of engineering school and went into the real estate industry where I kind of sat before I got started uh, in this sort of crazy online world. So you would have been working on spaceships or airplanes? or <laughs> Yeah, actually, I went originally to work on uh, to work on like missiles and stuff. And, and uh, I was just very intrigued by military. I wasn't in the military. I uh, wasn't brave enough probably to be in the military, but I, I was always intrigued by a sort of government uh, type of undisclosed like weaponry and missiles and all that kind of fun stuff. So that's that was kind of my enchanted dream of what engineering school might be like. And it, uh, it was very different than what I thought headed into it. Right. So real estate was next. Uh, I'm assuming this is because you just got married and you need some money. Is that... <laughs> right. You know, you fail out of college. What do you do? You know what I mean? You you basically get your real estate license or you get your insurance license. Uh, those are your those are kind of your two options if you if you're really interested in kind of making it or go back to school. I wasn't interested in going back to school. And uh, I heard real estate is where a lot of people sort of invest and a lot of people I respected in business kind of kind of were involved in real estate. So I said, what the heck, I'll go get my um, license. And I, I started selling short sales and foreclosures basically. And this was like in 2006, maybe 2007 ish. And this was right in the uh, beginning of the US housing market collapse. No one really knew it was going to be a collapse at that point, but it was right in the beginning when there started to be enough of these things on the market and people didn't know how to handle them. Banks didn't know what to do with them. And uh, so all it took was a little research on my part and I had more houses to buy and sell for these banks and these investors than I that I could possibly handle. I mean, there was just so many on the market and no one knew how to really treat this new emerging uh, market. So it, 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 I spent about two years in real estate and uh, I, I was just getting to the point to where it was successful. You know, it takes a couple of years in the industry, uh, but I was working like a hundred hours a week and um, it was a crazy time. My wife had just graduated college and was a first year teacher, which is just a crazy workload all, all in and of itself. And uh, we got married and pregnant. And at the birth of my daughter, I just decided that I didn't want to work a hundred hours a week anymore. And that real estate really wasn't that form of real estate really wasn't the long term uh, play for me. And so 
basically when my daughter was born, I decided to get out of the industry. I'm noticing a trend here. You, whenever you get a new dependency, you quit what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's probably a good thing. Uh, It's, it makes you kind of reevaluate your life whenever you get somebody else that is dependent on you, makes you sort of reevaluate your, uh, your life and what you're doing. So that, that actually is a pattern in my life. Usually it's the other way around though. People generally like want to stick with what they're doing when they have a wife and then they get a kid because, wow, we need money to, you know, we don't want to rock the boat at this stage. Let's rock the boat when we've, you know, a little bit more stable. So you must be a brave man, Adam, or um, maybe or crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what, what happened uh, next? You, you quit real estate and then? Yeah. So it, the- Really, when we brought my daughter home from the hospital, we really did look at our lives and, and ask ourselves, are we living in line with uh, the values that we have? Are, is our life reflective of what we want? You know, that kind of moment that a lot of people go through in life at some point or another. For us, that was the night, the very night we brought my daughter home from the hospital. And we said, it's not. It's not at all aligned. I'm working way too much. I'm not really fulfilled in what I'm doing. Um, Courtney did like education, but she was working a lot. And we, most importantly, we had a tremendous amount of debt for as young as we were. We had a whole bunch of student loans and $18,000 in just uh, stupid debt. You know what I mean? Like credit cards and car loans and just all like extra lifestyle inflation stuff. And then we had an apartment and our life had basically degraded to, uh, Hey hun, what do you want to do next? Do you want to upgrade the TV or do you want to upgrade the kitchen table? Like that was kind of our, our like discussion around our finances. And we realized that we were living a life that we kind of made fun of other people for a living. And that was kind of a, that was kind of an eye opening experience for us. So we set a super passionate goal. And this is, I didn't know anything about online marketing or any of, any of this stuff. We just said, we want to travel overseas with our daughter by the time she turns one. Okay. And that was like, we, we really want this. This is what we would do if we could do anything. We would travel overseas and we loved Australia, believe it or not. We, that was the that was the place that we really wanted to go. Courtney had spent a few months there before. I'd never been, but we really wanted to go there. So we said, we're going to take a year. We're going to reorganize our life. And a year from now or so, we're going to leave and spend a year in Cairns, Australia. And, uh, and, uh, that involved paying off at least the $18,000 in debt within that year. It involved selling everything we owned down to two backpacks. If we were going to make that happen, it involved me, uh, quitting the real estate industry and, uh, finding something else that may be able to, to support us, uh, while we, while we were able to travel. So I started by quitting <laughs> as you kind of outlined, I started because I knew like, just, there's no way I'm going to do anything if I'm just this obsessed. So I went to my partner who I was working on a lot of sales and stuff with and asked him if he wanted to, to take over. And I, I wanted out and we kind of worked that out from a business perspective. And I hijacked out of there and, and played stay at home dad while Courtney finished up, uh, her year of teaching. And so we lived off of just that teaching income. Uh, I st- was a stay-at-home dad. And about six months into the journey of paying down our debt and selling our stuff, I was following about 100 personal finance blogs uh, because I was learning. I was, in- I was engrossing myself in the community. I was being inspired by all these people that were keeping track of their journey. And I said, you know what? I want to be a personal finance blogger, not for an income because I had no idea any of them were making money. Really, I was that that kind of uh, naive. But I said, like, I'm just so obsessed with these people. I want to share my own journey. 
and I started the website Man Versus Debt, the blog, the WordPress blog, Man Versus Debt. I stayed up all night one night, read Pro Blogger archives uh, to how to set up a WordPress blog, how to install it. Stayed up all night, pulled it all nighter, and in the morning I had my little WordPress blog set up, and I guess the rest is kind of a, a new chapter in there. But that's that's really how we got started from real estate into this online world. It was with this big goal that my wife and I set. May I ask which personal finance blogs did you like stand out, you know, especially looking back how many years ago that was, uh, you know, that really kind of influenced you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first and foremost was J.D. Roth of Get Rich Slowly. Later, J.D. became a great mentor of mine. He's now a good friend. But in the early days, I had no idea who he was. And I just marveled at how consistent he was at tracking his journey and providing advice to his readers. Uh, another person which may surprise you was Leo Babauta. And why it may surprise you, you probably may remember back then, but most people don't. Uh, Leo started a, a significant amount of his blog in the early days. Uh, was about his challenge to pay off debt mm. along with some of the other habits he was getting rid of. And so, I, I mean, he was almost a half personal finance blogger for a year or a year and a half there. I really loved following his perspective when he was paying off his debt. Uh, and there were certainly other sites that that played a big role, but those two were the cream of the crop for me. Uh, and it's no surprise that those are mentors I, I um, went to search out when I got started online because those were the two big ones. Okay, so the year you... I won't, I won't say took off because you were being a dad and that's a job. But um, the year you were a stay-at-home dad and you were doing this research, was it six months into it you started the blog? Or how, how much time did you allow yourself to be a learner but not so much an action taker? Yeah, I would say that um, I, I didn't have the idea to start a blog all but for maybe like a month. So I we were paying off our debt about six months. You know, we were really passionate. I was a stay-at-home dad. I, and then I got the idea maybe around Christmas time or so uh, to to that I could maybe do this. And I put it off for about a month uh, before it finally clicked one night. And I finally just said, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to set it up and do it. So once again, I didn't have this like amazing plan, business plan set out to how I was going to launch this blog and how content marketing was going to lead to a product launch. I mean, I had no idea what those words meant uh, and no idea what I was doing, but uh, it took about a month from when I decided that I thought it would be a cool idea to when I actually had WordPress installed. Um, But I had been following blogs for at least six months by that time. Okay. So you're not sure how it's going to work out, but you start a blog and you're going to track your your personal finance journey. So you're, you're quest to pay down your debt and and get uh, liquid enough to travel without i'm assuming without needing a job or at least having one that you can take with you while you travel was that sort of the rough plan yeah we planned to get jobs when we landed in australia that was the initial plan yeah okay and this is 2008 is that right i believe so yep 2008 yep well how did it go (laughs) <laughs> well, it was uh, it was very interesting process. I decided that I would be uh, completely transparent with my finances. There were a couple people that were doing it, but uh, um, I tried to do it on a level that was very, very transparent. Uh, very early, I shared all of our numbers, how much debt we had, how much income we were making, where it was going. I shared a list of everything that we owned because we were in the process of selling our stuff. So I was like listing out how much we owned, what we thought we were going to get rid of. And it just blew people's minds for some reason. It didn't really blow my mind at the time, but like can everyone you, was like, oh my. Can you summarize that, Adam? Can you, what was your debt and how, how did 
you know, how much did you sell everything? How did that all work out? Ooh, I should I should have pulled that up maybe before the interview. But <laughs> we had we had about eighty thousand dollars in total debt. But I know that our main goal was to pay off the eighteen thousand, right? Because we knew that if we had to wait to pay all eighty, it would take several years. Mm-hmm. And so we made a decision that we won't pay off the student loans. We'll just keep making the payments on those. But in order to be able to allow ourselves to go overseas, we would have to pay off the eighteen thousand dollars that represented. Uh, all our other consumer debt. So that was the goal, $18,000 in debt in a year. Uh, And the things, oh my gosh. I mean, it started with a ton of stuff, but I think at one point, like I listed out maybe 800 items uh, and then down to 600, 500, 400, 300. And at one point we were probably traveling with right around 100 to 150 items for a family of three. Uh, and I kept tracking it when, when we got down low enough, I even took pictures, uh, and posted them to the blog. And again, people just thought it was like the craziest thing in the world. And it really wasn't that crazy to us at the time. Uh, but, uh, people really connected with that. And I think that it really spoke to people. And I was so open and honest that it wasn't that long before people started, um, uh, sharing out, um, my journey. I mean, within the first month or two. I was really seeing traction. That's very uncommon. Uh, now, I wasn't like making a bunch of money. I didn't even, again, I, what my goal wasn't to make money. I had no idea how to monetize. I had no way of monetizing. But um, but people started sharing my journey very quickly uh, online. And then once we able we were able to succeed, we did pay down our $18,000 in debt. We, we did sell everything except for these two huge backpacks that we took with us. Uh, and after we boarded the plane and started kind of blogging about our travels and more about more in-depth personal finance stuff, uh, it only took off more and more from there. So I just want to put this in perspective, Adam. You, you're at home. Your wife's working, I'm assuming, on a fairly entry-level salary at that stage. You're quite young. You're selling everything. Now, you have to sell household items. So I'm trying to put my head around how you do this. Are you selling on eBay? Are you having a yard sale or we'd call it a garage sale if we were doing it in Australia? How do you get rid of plates in your kitchen and, um, you know, furniture? I'm sitting on a bunch of chairs and <laughs> yeah. table and, you know. Well, we use like a four-prong approach. We used eBay, Craigslist, Amazon, and, uh, and yard sales or garage sales. And uh, I, I sort of four years later now, I kind of helped teach some of this stuff. But back then, I had no idea what we were doing. But in general, we used eBay to sell brand name things, right? Something that was going to actually bring in the best market value because of its brand and it was shippable. So you don't sell a couch on eBay very often because you can't, you can't get it to where the marketplace is going to be. So we sold a lot of like the brand name. Like if you have a really nice blender, a lot of times you can sell that, clean it up and sell it on eBay. And that could be one of the best places to sell it. Craigslist really was great for all the furniture, the chairs, the couches, the things like that. And I think, uh, I don't know, is it Gumtree over there? I don't know. Or is it Craigslist? I forget um, from our time over there. Uh, well, we have both, but Gumtree is Yeah, yeah. So popular. that type of network for us obviously is Craigslist and uh, here in the States. And we use Craigslist for that kind of thing, right? Something that someone's going to bring the truck over and pick up is, is, was much more popular for us on Craigslist. Amazon was, of course, all of our books. And DVDs to a certain extent, but we didn't sell a whole lot of DVDs. But books were really easy to list on Amazon over here, uh, at least in the States. And uh, we sold everything on that. And then the rest of it, we just marked down and just sold in. A, I think we had one or two big yard sales or, or group yard sales that we put our stuff in and uh, and sold it all that way. And I guess the last wave we didn't sell, but we donated a bunch of stuff because a, a lot of things like weren't worth our time to sell. 
necessarily. They wouldn't have brought us much money. It would have been more stress, but it, we still benefited greatly from getting them out of our lives. Like it still freed up all that time and stress. And, and so we would just go and try to find local organizations uh, in our area to help donate some of our things to. Okay. So you get yourself down to enough or as little as you can, so you can actually get on a plane with two <laughs> yep. backpacks. And where are we? 2009? Is that when you started? Uh, no, it was it was 2008 as well. So I started my blog in early 2008, and this was like in the summer of 2008 when we left. All right, so you get on a plane down to Australia. Um, you got nothing. <laughs> you got a baby, two backpacks, yeah. and a blog. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's so I made I made a big mistake, and uh, my mistake was there's a there's a visa called a working holiday visa, I believe, or it was at the time at least. Super popular, yeah. right? People yeah. come over to Australia from the states. They can work for a year, up to six months at a job. They can work two different jobs. It's like this really popular way to travel. So I'm looking this up. I'm like, this is awesome. We'll go over. We'll get working holiday visas. We'll work at like a bar on the coast of Cairns if we have to. You know, we'll just we'll take minimum wage jobs and we'll just live the dream or at least our dream at that time. And it was super empowering for us because we came from a place where we were basically trapped by our by our decisions to one where we were incredibly free by our decisions for better or worse. Uh, And this instance ended up being for worse because I didn't read the fine print of the visa and you can't have a dependent. Uh, and get a working holiday visa, which was a problem because we were interested in keeping our daughter around uh, for this process as well. So (laughs) we've quickly found that Australia, no matter how much of a business savvy person I was, or no matter how popular my blog was, Australia wasn't going to necessarily give me a visa. They didn't care so much for my, Mm -hmm. for my Twitter followers. Uh, But they, my wife could have an opportunity to get a visa because she had an actual degree in education, something that's very universal. Uh, So we started scouring the web, going on foot to schools, asking people that we were staying with. We used couch surfing a lot to stay with other families in the area while we were there. And we were looking for how we could get Courtney part-time or full-time into a school that would allow us to have a visa to stay in Australia. Uh, We found out that our dream of living in Cairns for a year actually only resulted in three days. They were a fun three days, but they were only three days in Cairns. And instead, we went down the coast to uh, Townsville where we thought there would be a little bit more opportunity for us to explore some things, a little bit of a bigger uh, city, of course. And uh, we spent about two weeks there, stayed with a wonderful family uh, in Townsville, researched, 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 and just found out that it wasn't possible for Courtney to be able to teach on the coast of Australia. There may be opportunities for her inland uh, in the middle of the country, but there wasn't going to be anything for her on the coast. And having just come from the middle of one big country, we didn't want to go to the middle of Australia, no matter how neat that may be there. So we decided to look elsewhere uh, and started looking around in other countries and found out that New Zealand had a, um, had a shortage of uh, primary teachers and that they, they were really highly, uh, you know, evaluating the, their, their uh, visas and, and we're trying to process them quickly to get them in. So we hopped a plane one day from Brisbane. We went down to Brisbane, hopped a plane from Brisbane over to Auckland. We stayed with another family and my wife actually went door to door to schools in the New Zealand, Auckland area, door to door, taking the bus showing up at the school and saying, I'm a teacher from the States. I would really love to teach in your school and, and basically trying to get a job in education door to door. And about, about two and a half weeks into the process, she got a call back from the interview 
she went to an interview and was hired on the spot at a uh, what they call a decile 10 school. I'm not sure if they have the same thing in Australia, but a decile 10 school, which was basically a 10 out of 10. It was an amazing, amazing school uh, for the kids. Courtney absolutely loved it. And we ended up spending the rest of the year, about 10 months uh, in New Zealand while she worked there. During this time before she got a job, how desperate were you financially? Like, did you have a cutoff when you like, well, if we don't get work. Uh, basically, we, no we did. We paid off eighteen thousand, and we saved about another twenty thousand. That's kind of a financial detail I left out. So we paid off the eighteen thousand in debt, and we were also able to save up twenty thousand dollars. In addition to that, how? <laughs> how did you get like that's thirty eight thousand dollars? Yeah, in yeah. Savings. So. That's from yeah, one yeah, job. Yeah. So my right? my wife made about uh, I think it was like low forty thousands. Uh, dollars. Uh-huh. Um, I had a little bit of income that came from the real estate business. I'm talking like maybe five or ten thousand dollars that came from my exit from the real estate industry, and then the rest mm-hmm. of it came from sell selling all of our crap. You know what I mean? We had a lot of stuff. I'm not joking. Yeah. So, and we basically spent uh, nothing. We didn't eat out. We uh, stayed at home and played board games for entertainment. Uh, we didn't spend anything that wasn't necessary. And when we started paying down all of our debt, we had more and more margin to pay off even more debt, right? You know, that kind of like it snowballs, as they say in the industry, uh, because you have less expenses now. So, and we were from Indianapolis, yep. which was only the 600 US dollars a month for our apartment at the time. And uh, so we weren't living in New York City, right? Um, so that really helped as well. But it was basically, we had a lean, lean, aggressive year. But that lean, aggressive year really paid off because it allowed us the opportunity to go over there. But once again, $20,000 goes quick when you're jet setting around as a family of three. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. not like yeah. – yeah, it's, it's, uh, we were very frugal. We stayed in hostels or with people for free on couch surfing. Uh, but it still goes quickly on those plane tickets. It's cost an ungodly amount to get across <laughs> the, the oceans here as you probably know coming to the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, it, we were running a little bit of a clock. We definitely had to get something within three to six months or we were going to have to just come back home. It must be such an amazing mix of emotions because, A, you've freed yourself up from everything. So there's a, a sense of liberation there. But that's pretty scary as well. Like there's no, nothing solid you know, that you're holding you down. Uh, you don't have assets at all. So, um, you, you, and, you've got, and you've just done this and you've got a baby, which is... Again, you're very counterintuitive to what most people do. When they they make a baby, they go, "We got to make sure our salary is coming." They don't go, "Let's sell everything and then travel." I mean, that's crazy. But um, obviously, you made it work. So, uh, what happened next? You you spent ten months in New Zealand. So, were you still being a stay at home dad and and writing? I was. So, um, Courtney did uh, get a teaching job there. Like we said, we spent the ten months in Auckland. Uh, we got a tiny apartment, uh, one bedroom apartment there uh, in downtown Auckland, and I continued to grow the man versus debt dot com audience. I was I was passionate uh, still about continuing to pay off our student loans, uh, and and my focus started to switch to like the do what you love category. It's a very general category, but uh, what I call what I generally call do what you love, which is try to give enough margin in your life where you can focus on your passion. So I changed uh, some of my writing to be more focused on my journey than as an entrepreneur to uh, use this kind of freedom that we had now to, and, and the sacrifice that my wife was making 
uh, in working, although she loved education and was at a good school, she was still making the sacrifice to work so that we could have the visas and the money. And um, so we lived off of her her income once again, uh, and uh, I continued to build the audience. And I don't think... I made any money while we were in New Zealand. <laughs> so I, I continued to build, I continued to build uh, my audience, but I, I still hadn't figured out exactly how I was going to monetize that community. I mean, I think I was very lucky in the aspect that I had provided myself enough flexibility in my life to not have to have money because it really allowed me to build a community that where my main focus wasn't money. My main focus was actually getting value out and helping people. And I think that then helped me when I went to make money later on. Did your wife sort of give you a deadline? You know, Adam, you, you can't muck around this website for too long without getting money back because, you know, I, I, we need more income than just my job. Did you have that sort uh, of pressure? A little bit, but I think I more put that on myself, right? Like I'm a, I'm a man and, again, I don't know if there's a cultural difference, but here in the States, like you have that pressure, right, to be the to be the supporter, to be the the breadwinner for the home. I mean – uh, that that still exists very much, at least uh, in my mind and in, in the culture that I was raised. So there was very much a pressure, but I think I put it on myself more than necessarily my wife did. I mean, um, Courtney has always uh, believed in the message and the community that we were building. And, and it's very much been a joint project. I've always concluded my daughter and my wife and now my new daughter uh, in the site. I mean, they it's very transparent. So they were a big part of the site and she always believed in the message. Now, I think that there were obviously times when we were both very frustrated on uh, – Maybe I should be trying to make money. Maybe I shouldn't be trying to make money. Is that moral? Is it, are all my readers going to leave in a big bus when I start to try to make money? How do I make money? Can I make enough money? I mean, that's obviously a year or two long, uh, long struggle for me uh, over, the, over the next few years, uh, as it is for many people. But uh, mostly overwhelming support from my wife and mostly internal pressure from myself. Okay, so you're you're in a fairly good situation for growing a blog uh, in in terms of having time available, and um, you know obviously there's enough pressure there to make you do stuff every day. So you're going to be an yeah. action taker. Uh, can we just change gears just a tiny bit briefly before we continue on this journey? I'm curious. This is like the first two years or eighteen months yep. of your blog, which is where most people tend to give up or you know have a lot of trouble continuing. Did like is there something you found that was really effective for you both as a content creation process because you're doing all the writing and I'm curious how much you wrote and also from a marketing perspective how you're building your audience like what was working for you then? Yeah, so uh, to answer the question, how much I wrote, I did start off every day uh, initially. Uh, because that's what all the personal finance bloggers that I had followed at the time were doing. It was mostly a race to get content out. And most of them were monetizing through an advertising model where it was very beneficial for them to continually pump out content, right? Because they were getting paid for eyeballs based on advertising. Uh, as I started to travel, I realized that that wasn't going to be possible, A, because I just didn't – like when we were traveling before we had settled kind of in New Zealand, it wasn't possible to write every day, just literally not physically possible. I couldn't get into an interconnect connection. wasn't always possible. Uh, and B um, – that it didn't resonate with me nearly as much as writing once or twice a, a week. So I changed to writing once or twice a week, and it was one of the best things I ever did for the uh, community of my site because I got to focus in really and 
provide more value rather than just keeping up with the rat race of blogging. So the, from a content marketing standpoint, that was my journey. And uh, once I started blogging twice weekly, that's when my blog really took off even more than it had before we had left. And now that was combined with me obviously leaving for Australia. I mean, it was a very exciting time and people were very interested in my story. So it was kind of a best of a both world situations. Um, and I forgot the original question. If you'll repeat that for me. Yeah, no, you, you answered half of it. So you, you're, you, you sounds like you switched from trying to compete on a page views model to writing one or two more extensive articles exactly. a week. And what were you doing uh, to get eyeballs? Like how did people even find your process in the first place? I can see how they might have shared it once yeah. they did find it, but how were people? Yeah, um, mostly uh, guest posting and uh, other connections, right? I mean, it's, it's the very, I'm very, I'm very much part of the formula of blogging, you know, all those things that people suggest to do. Um, I did those. The thing was, I was just so aggressive that I was, I was basically everywhere. I was talking to everyone. I was really trying to deliver value. I wasn't being spammy. And many people picked up on this story. I mean, uh, some people played JD Roth, who I mentioned was one of the people I liked that got me into, uh, uh, blogging while I was in New Zealand, uh, I remember exactly where I was. Um, I tried out to be a staff writer for Get Rich Slowly. So I had my own personal blog, but I was going to write. He was having a staff writer, a paid position where I could write once a week for his website. He hired two people. I ended up getting the gig. I tried out. He They did a public contest. It was very humiliating, but I got hired and I wrote for a year for JD. And that helped me in two ways. First, it did help me with eyeballs, meaning that I did I did link back to a different article. Every post I wrote, I could link to an article at the very top. So I would say, I just wrote, you know, Tyler Durden's Guide to Personal Finance. And I got to put that on Get Rich Slowly, one of the biggest sites at the time. And that really did help with eyeballs. Uh, it also started to provide a little bit of freelancing income uh, that was blog related towards the end of that New Zealand time. I didn't make money from my own site, but I did uh, start that Get Rich Slowly gig. And... Uh, and I got to have a professional writer, basically JD, editing my work, which made me a much, much better writer. The other ways was like people like Chris Gillenbo picked up on my story very early and just offered unwavering support uh, for getting uh, my story out to that many more people. So it was really um, uh, bloggers who were more well-connected than myself um, taking an interest in me and taking me under their wing and sharing my story with their audience. That was probably the most pivotal thing I did. Of course, uh, like I would teach now and, and like I would like to think that I was, I was hell-bent on helping people. Like the content really was what led. But like you said, you could write great content and they could share it. But if they never get there in the first place, no one's going to share it. So I don't know how necessarily it got the attention of some of the bigger people. But over time, it was, you know, uh, uh, just a few, probably a half dozen people that really uh, contributed to me sort of getting past that tipping point uh, to where I was, mm. where I was starting to become a, a known blogger, if you will, at least in the personal finance space. Right. So you could call it a combination of guest posting, reading the other blogs every day, and, and when you see an opportunity to to connect somehow, whether that be a comment or even sending an email to that blogger or, or a tweet or something. Oh like yeah. That. I do remember, sorry to interrupt you. I do remember now one of the things that I did very, very well when I was getting started and I haven't thought back on it in a long time, but I supported big bloggers, pet projects. Does that make sense? So all of the bloggers at the right. time usually had some sort of pet project and I'll give you two specific examples. 
J.D. Roth started a radio show, a blog talk radio show back in the day with, uh, with another personal finance blogger named Jim Wang, who ran another big site uh, in the personal finance industry. And for the first six episodes, they tried to get people to call into this radio show and no one was, no one was calling in. They'd have 100 people in the chat room and no one would call in. So for every episode, for the first six episodes, they had one caller, one person who got on the phone and called in, like wrote a question out and asked them. And that was me. I was the one who called in and asked the question every week. They talked about a topic. I thought of a good question. I called in and asked them and it really helped their radio show. And, and guess what happened when it came time for me to try out for the staff writer position? I probably had a little bit of an advantage, right? At least, at least he knew my name. Uh, the other one was, uh, uh, Leo Bauta, he was writing uh, one of his books and he was trying this model of sort of crowdsourcing it where he was writing it in public and he had this little, uh, wiki page where he was putting it out. And, um, and, uh, I offered to help during one of these chapters. I really dug in. I really helped one of these chapters. I, I spent hours on it. I mean, I think days on it, helping him like with my suggestions on this chapter, not just like a few typos, but like really where I thought he should go with this and why I liked it and what I didn't like about it. And then I also, uh, later on after that contacted him through that and said, I have a, I have an idea for a personal finance blog around simplicity. And I was wondering if you would want to do it together with me. Uh, sort of like a joint venture type of question. And he ended up agreeing to that. Now, actually, we never put that out together. I ended up putting it out by myself, but we worked together for a couple months on it. And that really helped me get established with uh, another personal finance blogger. So if I had to go back and start, that was one process I definitely would complete. I was such a big fan of the people that I followed that I knew what their pet projects were. I was able to really, really help them aside from just trying to go out, go after them on their main platform for where they were talking. Mm-hmm. And you did all this from New Zealand. I did Australia and New Zealand. Yep, yep. So I remember getting the call from JD about the staff fire position where I was in New Zealand. So it was kind of fun. Okay, so it will take us forward from New Zealand onwards. You, 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 why did you leave after? Two uh, we got to the end of the term, and we either had to re up, so we had to re up for a year. They actually the, this this school actually offered Courtney a full time position, but she had to commit for like a year or two, uh, and we just weren't quite ready to do that. You know, we weren't quite ready to say, yeah, we're going to stay for another year or two, uh, in the position. So, um, and, uh, we could have stayed a little bit longer, but we stayed an extra month in New Zealand. We drove around the South Island, beautiful country. And then we, um, hopped over to Thailand for a month. There were some people that I knew in Thailand from the online world and we knew it was really cheap to live in Thailand. So we said, let's go to Thailand for a month or two. Uh, we could stay up to three months, I think on the visas and let me see if I can launch my first product. It was actually an ebook that the one I was talking about that I originally had to propose to Leo about simple finances. Let me see if I can launch this while we're in Thailand. We'll keep our costs low. Let me see if I can get this ebook out and see whether I can make any money from this online thing almost 18 months into the process. So our next stop was Thailand. Okay. And how did the ebook go? <laughs> um, it was an incredibly stressful process. I spent months and months and months writing it. I launched it at $17 uh, for to be technical. And uh, I believe I sold about uh, three or four, maybe up to 500, between three and 500 copies within maybe the first week. Um, so at the time, that's not much money if you do the calculation. But at the time, that was 
basically life changing for me because it was the first time I had ever made an offer out into the world. Uh, there are several reasons why that book is not available now. So the book that I wrote then is not still available because it was my first book and I did a couple things wrong with it, both in positioning and in, uh, and in helping people in the best way. But I got it out there. It was overwhelmingly a big hit and a support and it set the framework for what I needed to do and the confidence for what I needed to do going forward. I mean, that's still a good result. That's a lot of sales, three, four hundred copies, so five, six thousand dollars. So that's enough to to live in Thailand for I, a oh, couple yeah, of months. Oh yeah, for sure. And sure. Uh, and uh, it it uh, it was much better than some of my peers were doing at the time. I mean, people that launch a product, anyone that's launched an ebook knows, especially their first ebook, uh, it can be very difficult even to sell a couple. That's just the truth of the industry that we're in. People mm-hmm. can work really hard to try to create an ebook and not only sell one or two. Um, so I was very flattered by that amount. It wasn't, you know, some windfall that was going to rattle, you know, make a radical change in my business. But again, it was so it was proof. It was proof that I was on to something and that if I continued to evolve in my business strategy, that I would be able to likely support us, you know, and uh, that was the spark. And with those sales to your own audience? Uh, oh. Or did you have affiliates and you know do a launch process? I did have that? affiliates. I used a junkie and I did the most uh, the most basic launch you could possibly imagine. I had like a couple people that that wrote about it. Uh, Leo was one of the people that wrote about it, so he sold several several hundred, like about half probably mm-hmm. um, is yep, the yep. is the truth. <laughs> but uh, um, uh, half of my sales were from him. But uh, that was great though because I, again I got to appear on his blog. I mean here's Leo Babauta, one of the biggest bloggers at the time, endorsing my first ebook. I mean, that's a lot of social cred that goes with that. A lot of people that said, oh, I mean, he must be the real deal now. He's he's writing an ebook. People are buying it. Yeah. People are endorsing it. And you know how that goes. And um, it, oh, was, yeah. it, was, it was great. Why did uh, he do it? Well, he, he had – Originally, well, he liked the ebook, uh, but it was this. It was the, it was <laughs> the start. ebook that we were going to work on together, and he had to back out just because of previous commitments. So he had basically uh, wanted to do an ebook, and he got overworked. He got a workload that was too much for him to handle at the time, and he approached me honestly about it. And I'm like, no, and like that's cool, man. Like that's that's fine. Like we'll just I'll continue to write this. I'll finish it and launch it myself. And he was like, I fully support that. And when it comes out, I'll read it over, and if I like it, I'll send it out. And so it was a, just a really great partnership and sort of a mentorship uh through the process he helped he helped me with parts of it and then of course helped share it out with the world when it came out and that was just something i he wanted to do because uh, he believed in the project and i can i can assume you can take that back to the fact that you helped leo with editing of his book earlier on and and whatever else you did to help him as you exactly his I mean, that, work. That, that helps so you get really, the foot in the door right i mean you still have to you, you still right, have to do the work the but those early relationships were were the biggest thing in the world to me when i was getting started yeah because most people are not going to be able to just knock on leo's door and have him you know take <laughs> right. what you're doing you know because that a lot of people could do that but he's probably just deleting those right. emails you know so yeah all right well good success story uh where does that take you though you you said that you realized it wasn't the right sort of angle you wanted to take with what you were doing or uh, yeah so it was called unautomate your finances and it was kind of a catchy play on simplifying your finances but what i realized is no one woke up in the middle of the night and said oh my god i need to unautomate my finances like it wasn't really it was creative but it wasn't really playing to a real need and i wasn't as experienced uh in my sort of marketing and or helping people uh, sort of range as I am maybe now, but, uh, 
I now realize that I could have helped people in a much more direct way. The other thing is an ebook isn't necessarily the best way to help somebody get out of debt. Uh, a lot of people that are in debt need more of the community approach to things. They need more of a daily uh, touch. They need like something that's going to really motivate them. It's just that the people that are in debt, there's better ways to help them. So uh, since then, uh, I've created a couple different products. The next one I did was a $47 um, series of ebooks that was a launch. Uh, so it was a higher price point, which was obviously better for me as a trying to make a living off not a million people, but a couple thousand people that were on my email list uh, and that regularly read my blog. And um, that one is still available today uh, and has sold really well and is still is 80,000 words and is just one of the one of the things I'm most proud of ever creating, actually, because it was the second time my second go around and we really put our heart and soul into it. And uh, it 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 still sells to this very day. Um, and that has helped that itself didn't make enough money for me to live off of. But that has continually helped uh, every single month me build the process. And then I went on to create a course called You Versus Debt. And it's a it's a more in-depth course. It does ping daily videos that go out to people breaking down a different lesson for six weeks. And uh, that format I just found really helped people more than the ebook did. And because I help people more in, in a deeper way, I'm able to charge more for that course than I ever could in ebook. And so it's kind of a, it's better for business and it's better for the people that that end up purchasing it. And so I did continue to produce products as the short story. Uh, and then since I've created those products, I've now started some side ventures, uh, like, uh, only 72 and I'm working on a documentary and all these sort of fun offshoots of the main, uh, blog that I run, but my main business in man versus debt still is through courses and guides that I offer to people. Okay. I'd, I'd like to dive in a little bit more into that, but I, wouldn't mind tying up the rest of your story first so you know how you because you're now you're yeah, back yeah. in the states so, now obviously so, I, so since we're running out of time so how what okay so we thailand? jump back from thailand and we get back to indianapolis and and we've had this amazing experience and man versus that is starting to come around it's not it's not knocking the it's not uh, replacing our income completely but we're starting to see that there's a possibility that it could do so and we decide what do we want to do next well we traveled overseas but we really hadn't seen anything in our backyard we really hadn't spent that much time traveling the US so we decided for our next adventure we would buy an RV and we would RV around the US and we did that for about 7 months um, and we, uh, kind of held meetups in the cities as we would go. So we would go and we would hold meetups with other bloggers and stuff and just meet. We met thousands of people on the road, living out of, uh, living out of our RV while we traveled, uh, the U S so that was kind of the next significant travel we did, uh, before finally settling down for nine months, most recently in Asheville, North Carolina. So that kind of catches you up on the travel aspect, at least of how we finished thing out. So in the last sort of four years, you've pretty much did Australia, then a, almost a year in New Zealand, then a couple of months in Thailand, and then you went straight back to the States and drove around in an RV doing almost like a blog tour. <laughs> it was. That makes it sound much more fancy than I think it really was, but uh, you, could, you could call it that. Uh, fantastic. So um, your daughter obviously has had some interesting places to <laughs> grow up in. Um, but I'm assuming she's young enough that that's that's fantastic yeah, for her. Yeah. Um, so you're back in. Well, I know you're, right now you're actually in San Francisco <laughs> promoting a documentary, yeah. or uh, which we can talk about in a moment. So just to maybe clarify all this, 
when and I'd, this is more for everyone listening who is actually following the process of setting up a blog and and thinking about making money. I know most people try advertising first, and it sounds like you did an ebook first. Yeah, um, I was in. I was. Oh, sorry, what, man, I cut you off on the question. <laughs> well, I, basically, I want to ask is what point did you decide for all of these products that your audience was large enough and can even talk about how much traffic and you, you have a newsletter you said, so you know, how many people are on the newsletter and when was the right time to actually start monetizing? Yeah. Um, I put it off for as long as possible and I was shied away from, uh, advertising through, uh, I mean, monetizing through advertising by a couple big influences, mostly one, mostly being like Chris Gillenbo. What I had the weird juxtaposition of being, and I think this is actually a strategy if I had to start over, although I did not strategize it in the beginning, was that I was in the middle of two worlds. On one, on one hand, you had personal finance blogs, which is a huge, very profitable industry, but is a very specific style of blogging. It is very rich. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of personal finance blogs. And on the other side where I hate this word, but I will use it anyway. It's like lifestyle design type of blogs, blogs that were yep. um, advocating uh, the the changing of your life, the realigning your life um, with your passions. The sure, 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 sure. And there were a lot of blogs like that. And one of the biggest ones that wrote about uh, art and, and life and business and still one of the biggest fans of him today was Chris Gillenbo. And he was starting a store where he basically created a series of different guides. He still has it today, his unconventional guide store. And he was having a lot of success with that, finding problems that his audience was going through and creating a resource that helped solve that problem at a premium level. And I just said, I could do the advertising, but that seems so much more what I want to do. I, like I didn't feel right advertising, especially on something that was this personal. So I'm not saying that advertising is bad for everyone, right? But my blog was very personal. It was all pictures of my family. It was us traveling. It was my experience. And I just didn't feel like AdSense did it justice. And that was just a personal choice that, uh, that made it at a time or selling, you know, space to credit card companies. It just didn't seem like a good fit for what I was going after. So I decided that I'm going to help people in, uh, in a couple areas. And the first thing I did was have to define those areas. How was, how was it going to help people? But to answer your question about traffic, I believe I had about a thousand email subscribers when I released my first ebook. Um, and I believe my traffic, that's a very good question. My traffic always spiked up and down a lot. I, I still, to this day, get about 15% of my traffic through SEO. So I still get the far majority of my traffic from outside sources, which means a lot of times that's big spikes up and down, just depending on, um, the traffic that's coming in. But I was probably getting, uh, 25 to 50,000 people, maybe a month to my site, um, and only had a thousand email subscribers. Now I say only because I was very new to the process. I didn't even launch my blog with an email subscription. Um, you know, I just wasn't, I just, you know, didn't understand how it worked yet. Uh, that would be the first thing I would do differently. Obviously, if I had to go back with my experience now, it would be all email and I would launch it without social media, but that's a different, uh, that's a different, um, experience level I have now. So it was all social media and I launched without an email list. And so I was just starting to change that. And once my email list got to a thousand for whatever reason, um, I decided I wanted to, you know, try this, uh, my second product launch, I was probably more around 5,000, uh, on my email list, uh, for the second product launch, but I didn't really have a formula. It was just kind of, that's, that's how about where it ended up being when I, when I went through those different product launches. Mm -hmm. I'm safe to say now you're obviously living off 
your your blog income and your product income as your is your wife no longer working? Yeah, my wife hasn't worked since New Zealand. Uh, we've had some ups and downs in the business, like everyone does. But yeah, this business along with a couple other products I'm doing are are full time income. So I now yeah drive all of our family income off the uh, off my off originally from the man versus debt, but I have a couple other projects now. Okay, and, and you're not living in an RV. I'm not. <laughs> so we did move in. Uh, we had uh, some stuff come up in our life where we decided that RV wasn't the best option moving forward. And we we moved into uh, a house in Asheville, North Carolina for nine months. And then now we have uh, had our second child to, to catch everyone up on the personal journey. And we're, we've moved out to San Francisco to finish a documentary that I just got done filming. And as part of the documentary – You'll probably uh, be thrilled to know that we did take a crew of five filmmakers back across the U.S. on a six-week tour. So I've driven across coast-to-coast across the U.S. two times in the past two years, and I'm quite okay not ever driving across the U.S. again. So uh, it's a great (laughs) country. (laughs) It's a big, big, big place, and I'm I'm worn out of driving. But uh, we're in San Francisco, and then we're going to go to Portland for a month in July and then decide what the heck we're going to do with our lives here in the fall. So we're we're kind of uh, transient once again, but looking maybe to settle down here. Tell us about this documentary. That's actually kind of the reason why this whole conversation even began, this whole podcast, uh, mainly because I – I saw Pat Flynn talking about the documentary, which is called I'm Fine Thanks, which is sort of like a documentary. I think that's meant to look at people who've lived lifestyles like yours and and, uh, figured out what they want to do. So, but I have to admit, it's not common for a person to be, you know, maybe just just finally establishing their stability from a blog and having an income stream that they can live off to then go, let's make a documentary. (laughs) Because, you know, that's not cheap and often it's not profitable either. So... (laughs) What's You're going revealing on there, man? Uh, all of our trade secrets. It's really expensive and not profitable. Um, so uh, yeah. no, you know, whenever I get to a point where I where basically I'm comfortable, we always try to to think of what's the next thing that we can do. What's the, can we take it bigger? Can we impact more people? I know a lot of people blow a lot of smoke about that, but really, when I have clarity, you know, when I'm thinking correctly, uh, I really do try to think what's the next biggest project I can do that will reach a bunch of people. Because I know if I help a bunch of people, then the business is not going to be a problem. And uh, we knew that the documentary film medium had the potential to reach much more people than, say, just one blog post, right? It's a, it's a ton more work, like you said, a ton more money, a ton more risk. But it has the potential to reach a lot more people because very few people have had their lives changed by a blog post. Like maybe – the nerdiest people, you know, maybe they can point out one blog post, but a lot of people have had their life changed by a book or a movie or a documentary or something that has really spurred them. And uh, so we wanted to try this medium. And I had a partner um, that I had met online and our families became fast friends. And he's a, he's a filmmaker at heart, but has been putting it off for the last 15 years. And we wanted to work on a project together. And we said, what topic should we do? And I said, well, you've been putting off being a filmmaker for 15 years. Up until three year, three or four years ago, I had been put off living the life I wanted to live, uh, stuck in a, like a rut myself. So why don't we just 
go out there and do a film on the issue of complacency. So why as adults and as we grow older, we kind of put off our childhood dreams and we just say, let's opt into this default scripted life. And uh, here in America, and I, I believe it's true in Australia too, from the people I've talked to there, there is a very default scripted life that you're supposed to follow. Like you go to school, you get good grades, you get into a job, you buy a house, you have 2.5 kids, you, you, you switch jobs maybe once or twice and you save up and then down the road you retire. And we were wondering why, as a society, we really preach this sort of, uh, we call it the American dream here, but you know what I mean? Like why we preach this sort of default lifestyle and, and why a lot of people get stuck into it, living very complacent lifestyles. So we went, like I told you, on the country, uh, across the country, rather, on a six-week tour, and we interviewed over 60 people, including... Uh, about half of those being experts, other bloggers and and authors and and experts that we met along the way that could shine some light on the issue. And the other half were stories, people like an attorney in Texas who worked up went a hundred thousand dollars into debt, worked for years to get this prestigious attorney's job, and then had her daughter and now wants to stay at home with her daughter, but can't because she has a big mortgage, she has hundred thousand dollars of debt, and she's basically trapped working this job for five to ten years just to pay off all the overhead she had to get into it and we talked to other people who had given up hobbies or were stuck in a job and that they should be happy everything around them should be should make them happy but they weren't they did and they couldn't understand what was wrong they did everything that they should but they just weren't happy and then most inspiring like you pointed out many of those people have have redefined lives and so we got to ask them about what that moment was like what action they took how their life was now and uh, and that's the journey that we hope to take people on by telling by sharing these people's story, which which were really powerful to us. We hope to show other people that this is a very universal problem and that uh, and inspire them to take action to kind of realign their own lives. Well, fantastic subject. And I watched a preview. You've got going a Kickstarter campaign and there's a preview to watch there. Uh, it's also on your site, uh, manversdebt.com. Maybe you can give us all the URLs for these things, uh, Adam, so we people can sure. Well, the, all your the work. Kickstarter campaign is just manversusdebt.com slash movie, and that'll forward right to the Kickstarter campaign if people want to check that out. That's really the best where place to find out more about the documentary itself because we have to fill out this big long body of text about the project, and we have this uh, like four or five minute trailer uh, that will give you more information about why we did the movie and uh, the actual trailer for the movie, which we're really, really proud of. And then my site, again, is just man vs. debt. So man versus debt, but it's just a vs. man versus debt.com. And, and I guess Baker at man versus debt is the best way to get a hold of me by, uh, by email. But that's, those are the basics of, uh, of how to get a hold of me. Okay. Well, man versus debt, probably the one URL you need to remember because it's a nice big fat. Uh, link and exactly. video yeah, yeah, yeah. for I'm Fine Thanks on there too so you, you can find it all in one place I'm looking forward to watching that I've, I've backed it in the Kickstarter to get myself a, a physical copy as well as the download so hopefully that will get made and, and we can um, watch it uh, I think that's probably a great place for us to wrap up Adam I, we've covered a lot I'm, I'd, I actually would probably love to spend another half hour talking about how you create your membership sites and how you, you know, structured them and sold them and, and uh, you know, keep selling things and are using landing pages and sales <laughs> yeah. pages. But we're almost yeah. at an hour already, so uh, <laughs> maybe that yeah. could be part yeah. two. Part two, but, um, definitely follow up sometime. It'd be fun to talk more of the insider business stuff. It'd be, it'd be a blast. So Definitely, yeah. Oh, I mean, I've had a couple of membership sites myself, so it's always a great <laughs> discussion. 
But let's end it with just one question that everyone obviously wants to hear about, which is basically if, if they're listening to this and they haven't done all of this that, that you've done in the sense that they're still back at the start, they have the job, uh, but it's clearly not for them. They do want to quit their job. What What is the, the most important part of this process? Is it a mindset shift? Is it just the decision and action you have to take? Is it selling all your stuff? What is like the number one thing? Yeah, you by, by far, number one, not close. Nothing even comes close to it for me because everything stems from it. And that is changing the people that you spend your time with. Changing the people in your life is usually the number one way people can quickly change their paradigm, change their environment, or get into action. So um, you can't abandon your family. <laughs> you can't change your family. <laughs> but you, you don't necessarily have to include your dad in everything if your dad doesn't support you trying to do something that you're trying to do. You can still have him as your dad. You can still love your dad without having to include him in every little detail. But you, what you can control is who you spend your free time with a lot of times. And um, so there's the two sides of it, man. I mean, you know it, but it's, uh, it's, it's ditching the people that bring you down, which is the hardest part for many people. Stop spending time with people that drag you down. Stop spending time in environments that drag you down, like on the couch watching TV and uh, for many people and, and start surrounding yourself with people. Go to meetups, get out, get to know people, Skype, have conversations. I mean, every single one of these, just like this conversation over four years is what has helped me get to know what I'm doing online and, and create a business for myself online, both. And not only that, but I've met thousands of people that I now have relationships with. So changing the people that you spend your free time, changing how you spend your free time and spending that with better quality of people, really, if we're just being frank is, uh, is the, is the thing that I would suggest. Awesome. Uh, perhaps harsh, but uh, very true reality. I think I agree with that. So fantastic, Adam. Um, thank you for joining me on the call. Um, just going to do my end wrap up here. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time thank to do this. Thank you, I appreciate you having me on. And for everyone listening in, if you are interested in hearing uh, more interviews like what we've just done with Adam, there's plenty of stories of people who, who've done this sort of uh, lifestyle shift and uh, make enough money to live off from the internet. So if you want to grab those interviews, just head to my blog, which is entrepreneurs-journey.com, or you can Google my name. It's the easiest way to find it, Yaro, Y-A-R-O. Thanks again to Adam, and thanks everyone listening. I'll talk to you on a future call very soon. Bye-bye.